Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And, and if you didn't notice right there, Paul was really watching Steve. Steve's over here on the guitar. The music in that opening bumper video is his. He made that. So, uh, yeah, kind of cool, right? Good job, Steve. <laughs> well, and what's funny is Katie bought it on whatever, and Steve was asking David, his son, Katie bought my music, and he bought, she bought it with her church card. What's going on? So <laughs> we were all looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we are starting a new series this morning. Uh, we're going to be going through Romans, so go ahead, grab your Bible, and turn to Romans. Uh, if you don't know where Romans is, that's okay. Look at the table of contents. Um, what sets true biblical Christianity apart from every other religion? If somebody asked you that, what is different about biblical Christianity, how would you answer that? When I graduated college, uh, for the, a year after, I, I tried to do this experiment in my head of pretend to not believe. Um, now, not so that I, I could go sin, but so that I could see things from another point of view. And obviously, I loved the Lord, so I couldn't really do it. But I spent a lot of time reading books, uh, talking to my Mormon friends and Universalist friends, and, and going through, okay, what, what sets biblical faith apart from all over uh, every other religion? Um, and it was helpful to get to know some of these other religions. So we have a chart that we made. So if you're ever curious, you know, everybody, if you ever come across somebody that says, you know, what do these other religions believe? Do we, do we have that? There it is. Whoa, that's big. Um, but these are kind of the, the big ones around the world. You know, we've got polytheism. Um, this is up here because this is helpful. When you read the Bible, it is written in a world of polytheism. The Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Their general belief was there's many gods. And so you see that and running through the concept of God, uh, you know, dualism. You would be surprised at how this is in the world today. Uh, monism, so Hinduism and Buddhism. You know, the idea there is an impersonal oneness. And so your, your personality is actually an illusion. And so you need to get over that and move past. Uh, atheism. You know, people say it's not a religion, but it has theism in the title. So even that is a religion. And then monotheism. So monotheism is, you know, the three big, right? Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And so what sets true biblical faith apart from all of these others? And then when we even get into monotheism, what sets true biblical faith apart from Judaism, Islam, and then even certain branches that call themselves Christian also, and that can be and are, uh, but what sets it apart? And we're going to see this in Romans. Now, we are going to zip through Romans. If you know anything about the book of Romans, it's a big book. It's full of a lot of theological and deep truth, um, and we're going to be kind of zipping through it, uh, kind of a, a highlight of the topics throughout. But today, we're looking at the theme of the book. So Romans chapter 1. And again, we're only looking at a couple verses, but we're going to see what sets true biblical faith apart from every other religion in the world. Now, the book of Romans was written by Paul. Uh, so if you know much about Paul, Paul was a guy who was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he was a Pharisee. His name was Saul. Jesus met him on the road, uh, converted him, changed his name to Paul. Uh, Paul then becomes you know, arguably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He's never been to Rome. So a lot of his letters, he's writing to churches he started or planted or were part of. He's never been to Rome. His ambition is to go to Rome and use that as a launching pad then to go to Spain. And we think he, he eventually made it to Spain. We think. We don't know for sure. We do know he was 
and he ended up dying in Rome. Um, but he, so he got there, but he didn't get there the way he wanted. He got there in chains. Uh, but he made it to Rome finally. But he is writing to kind of outline his, his gospel, right? Outline the way he views the truth to make sure they're on the same page when he gets there. And so, after some greetings, he starts in verse 16. He says this, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord Jesus Christ, I, we, we ask you to... Uh, Enlighten our hearts and our minds to the truth you have in your scripture here. God, I thank you that what you have written is what you wanted to have written. And I pray that we would understand like so many throughout history have read this and understood and had their lives changed. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So kind of a, a, a side note, my goal today and, and every week, but my goal really today is not just that you understand this, but that also you'll be able to frame it so you can articulate this to somebody else. You may hear this and go, yeah, I know, I get it. I've been a Christian a long time. But can you articulate quickly, right? Maybe you've heard it like a sales speech in an elevator ride. You have two minutes. Could you articulate what sets true biblical faith apart from every other religion in that two-minute elevator ride? Well, hopefully you can after today. But here, what is he talking about? He says, I'm not ashamed of what? The gospel. Right away, that's a little bit convicting, because how many Christians are ashamed of the gospel? You'll hear Christians say things like, you know, I believe, you know, you can believe whatever you want, but I believe kind of in this, uh, I don't want to be too dogmatic about my beliefs. But here, Paul, he's very dogmatic about what the truth is in love and grace, but he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's not just a style of music. The gospel, it means good news. And it's very specific. The good news of what? Uh, that word gospel was used in that day and age of, of a king, right? A king on his way, and you're preparing to meet the king, and the good news is the messenger that came ahead said, this good king is on the way. So that's the good news of a coming king. And here, the gospel is the good news of salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. Salvation. Every religion tries to answer the question, where'd we come from? Where are we going? What happens when we die? I mean, that's why we just spent five weeks looking at heaven. What happens when we die? Where are we going? Salvation. But salvation, biblical stuff, it's not just eternal. It actually starts now. How can I experience life indeed? Right? Isn't that the question everybody wants answered, whether they're asking it or not? How can I live life to the fullest? What does it look like? Chasing after sin? Or maybe how God defines life. So let's look at just the big three religions, the big three monotheism religions in the world. Uh, Islam, what's their thing? Well, for them, salvation comes from following God's guidance, and in the end, you'll have your good and your bad weighed. And hopefully your good outweighs your bad. You know, there's, a, there's some other, you know, sneaky ways you can get into heaven, paradise. Um, Judaism, in general, follow the law, Right? Follow the rules. Be good. Do what God says. Now, if you were to take a poll of Americans, including American Christians, the majority, I'm talking 70 to 80%, would have some form of 
I, I need to have my good outweigh my bad. I need to be a good person. But the problem is that's not what we see here. In fact, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Because salvation is for who? It is salvation to everyone who believes. That word believe is pistu in, in the Greek, and it means to, to be persuaded and to have confidence in. So it's not just an intellectual assent to a set of statements, but it includes a real, I am persuaded that this is true, and I place my faith in it. So belief and faith, you can use those words interchangeably. Faith, believe, be persuaded. Maybe you've heard this, and you know, I probably say this too much, but people have confidence in the person who doesn't follow God at all, but they believed when they were seven, right? They prayed the prayer as if it was just a magic prayer, but they really didn't place their faith in that it wasn't real belief. Here, this belief is a putting yourself in God's hands, but yet it's not works. Uh, later, he's going to articulate very clearly, Paul is in Romans, what that belief needs to be. Romans 10, 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's the word that comes to mind? Grace. What sets true biblical Christianity apart from every other religion? Grace. Grace. It's truly not works-based. It is completely based on what Jesus has done. Faith in him, grace. If you can earn it, that means you deserve a piece of it. And if you can earn it, that means you can probably lose it. And then if you can earn it because you're good, now you can be proud of that. I mean, just go down the list. True biblical faith is you're helpless, you're hopeless. You needed God, and so God did it. Uh, the picture, maybe you've seen this, a ravine, right? Grand Canyon, you, you have a cliff over here, giant ravine, and we're all on this side. Right, we're all here, and, and this is humanity. On the other side, you have God, right? God, perfect in holiness, perfect in purity, but we have this chasm between, right? And, and we're building motorcycle ramps to get over, right? And we're, we're trying to do all kinds of things to get, maybe we'll hike down and try and hike back up. You know, we want to get from here to here, but we can't do anything. So the picture is, is in the middle of this ravine, you drop the cross, right? And then we can walk across the cross to get to Jesus, to get to God. So Jesus, by his death on the cross, clears that chasm. We can't do it, period, but he did it. That's why the word is grace, unmerited favor. The good news is that a person is saved by faith in Jesus, not by works. This sounds simple, and guess what? It is. It's not easy, but it is simple. Simple, I, I mean, we, we say this around here, you don't have to dress up, worry about your past, or pretend to be perfect. We just want you to experience Jesus. It's true. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to dress in a certain way. It's not by works. But it's by genuine belief, genuine faith. Maybe you've seen, heard this analogy as well. There's the, the guy, a tightrope walker, right? And he was going up and down. It was over a waterfall, I believe. Niagara Falls, maybe. And he's going up and down. This was in the 20s. Uh, and he comes back, and he, and he grabs a wheelbarrow, and he goes up and down on the wheelbarrow. And, you know, everybody's cheering. And he says, do you believe that I could do this with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And, of course, they're all, yeah, ooh, yeah. Okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? Shh. <laughs> right? It's like, and eventually somebody did. It was a reporter who did. Okay, right? They were saying they believe, but they weren't willing to, to actually get in the wheelbarrow. Real belief. It's not a work. But it is getting in that wheelbarrow. So it's, again, there's a lot of 
through the last 2,000 years, argument over you know, where belief happens, all this stuff, because repentance is part of it, right? Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent. Well, which comes first, repent or, or believe? You know, and we can debate that all we want. I think belief comes first, and then repentance is a natural conclusion of that that follows. But either one is not a work. This is what sets true biblical faith apart from every other religion. And isn't there a piece of us that's like, I don't get it. Or there's something wrong. It, it feels better that I do things to earn it. Does it. It feels better. No, I need to go to church a lot. I'll ask people, you know, are, are you saved? Well, yes, I go to church every week. Okay, wrong answer. <laughs> I, I mean, we should go to church. We should hang out. We should be together. But it's not based on our actions. This book, these verses, change the whole history of the church. Maybe you've heard of Martin Luther. Maybe you've heard of the Reformation, where on December 31st, you know, he nailed his thesis to the door, right? Uh, of he, things are, are going to change, and here's how he got there. Martin Luther, his biography is really long, and I recommend it. Um, but Martin Luther was a, a priest. Uh, he was a very intelligent man. Uh, his dad actually wanted him to be an attorney, but, but he went the way of religion, and he became a priest. Eventually, he became a monk, but Martin Luther was overwhelmed by God's holiness and perfection. And in that, he then saw himself and saw his dirtiness and his filthiness. Now, I'll be honest. When I read his biography, I was convicted because he, he was so broken over his filthiness. And I'm like, I'm not sure I've ever been that broken over my filthiness. And he was way better than I am. You know, so, so he was behaving, following the rules, so became a priest, then became a monk. Uh, and the priests above him really got sick of his confessions because he was always just, I need to confess again. I, I had these, and he's always, and they're like, man, just get over it, move on, but he had no peace with the religious system. So he was teaching in a, in a Bible college, a seminary, uh, and he was to teach the book of Romans. Well, this was new because the Catholic priests typically did not teach the Bible. They taught what others said about the Bible. And so for Martin Luther to take on this, it was kind of a new thing. And he started digging through Romans, and all of a sudden, he had peace. All of a sudden, he got it when he, got, he read this. It's by faith. It's by believing. It's not based on my word. And all of a sudden, he had peace. And then he looked at the church and went, oh, man. <laughs> right? Right? That led him to the situation of, no, we're leading people astray. Maybe you've heard of indulgences. That was the big thing. Where you could go, when the church wanted to build a cathedral, uh, they would say, hey, bring us your money. And you can buy grandma, grandpa, whoever, out of purgatory and into heaven. Uh, well, the Bible makes very clear there is no purgatory. Uh, right At death, you go to be before the Lord. You go to judgment, and either you're with him or you're apart from him for eternity. And so he looked at that, and he's like, no, I, you know, people are all wrapped up in these works. And so indulgences was one of his big things. But then if you remember in the Reformation, the, the two uh, cries of sola fide means faith alone. That was the cry of the Reformation. And then sola scriptura, meaning scripture alone. It's not based on tradition. It's not based on a pope. It's based on what God has revealed in scripture, and it is through faith alone. It changed the, the history of the church. Now, by the way, Martin Luther wasn't the first one, right? There were plenty within the Catholic church who understood faith alone. Read history. It just kind of came to a head at this point in time, and it was time, and we needed it. But it aligns with even Jesus' call. You know, Jesus says, if you remember, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So often religion is not restful. Religion is, is more burdens placed on us to get there to earn it. When we truly understand that we are saved by faith alone, now we can rest. Now we can be right with God because of Jesus, and we can be secure in that rest. Now look back at these verses. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's a tough word, righteous, right? The righteous shall live by faith. Well, elsewhere it says, none is righteous, no, not one. Right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is this idea of being righteous? Uh, interesting, the word righteous can also be translated justice. It's the same word in the Greek. But it's translated in different ways, righteous or justice. And here we are saved. The righteous shall live by faith, being right with God. So the picture here, you know, righteousness, because God is righteous, He's perfectly just, and he's perfectly right in all that he does. You and I, in and of ourselves, not at all. <laughs> so the picture that comes, maybe you've done some, some work on an engine. I'm not much of a mechanic, but you get the grease all over you. You know, I remember helping Brendan years ago, and we had a friend who knew what he was doing. Change something in the and it just grease all over. I remember a kid, the first time I was messing with grease, got it all over and went to wash it off. Nothing. Right? You get in it, the dirt sticks to it and it gets all over. It's kind of that picture of, of we're born with this grease all over us, and religion is, is trying to wash it off, but really we're just smearing it around. You, you know, you try to wash and it's getting in your head, it's getting all over. And, and God is, a, you know, perfect white suit, whatever, we want to go give him a hug. It's like, no, we can't do that. You've got to get cleaned up first. Well, how do you get cleaned up from grease? Gasoline. Different with, with Christ. But there is a way, but I, so the picture, for, when I remember being a kid and, and being like this. I'm like, man, what do I do? And dad grabbed the gas can and said, what are you doing, right? And, and boom, you know, getting clean. You know, dad helped me get cleaned up. That's the picture here is we are filthy in our grease and there's nothing we can do about it. And religion, all of them, even a lot of Christian religions are just telling you what to do and you're just smearing it around. Rather, we just do this and let Jesus clean us. His righteous, and that's what he's saying right here. Right? For in it, the righteousness of God. Debate, is that God's righteousness or the righteousness he gives us? Probably both. The word here is imputed. Imputed righteousness. That you become righteous because Jesus is righteous. You become clean before God because Jesus cleans you through his blood on the cross. That's the picture. And so we stop striving right? I mean, look at Scripture. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Quit your work in it. Instead, just, just release. Let me do the work for you. Let me clean you. So many people, you know, I can't go to church if you just knew the things in my life. And you're right. If we knew the things in your life, we wouldn't let you in. But if you knew the things in my life, you wouldn't come, <laughs> right? I mean, if we're honest, if we want to get cleaned up before we come to God, it's not going to work. He says, come as you are, and I'll do the cleaning. And this is God's righteousness, which is then imputed to us, how? From faith to faith. Well, that's weird. Who talks like that? What he's basically saying, though, is our, our salvation begins with faith, and it is completed with faith. 
from beginning to end, our relationship with God is based on faith. Done. He cleans us. He leads us all the way up to the end. We're not saved by faith, and then we work on it. We're not saved by faith, and then we stay there based on our good deeds. We are saved by faith, and we live by faith. Think about it. If your salvation is based on your works, then there's a, a room for pride. And, and maybe, and pride, by the way, can come in two different ways. Oh, I'm so dirty. I'm so broken. I'm so, you know, this kind of humility. Oh, woe is me. That can actually be pride. Or the other side, oh, self-righteous. Oh, look how good I am. You should be like me. There's that side of pride also. Rather, it is, as the Bible says, view yourself accurately as you are before God. And before him, if your salvation is in him, if you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, you're clean. You're clean. And then, I mean, we do want to be good after that. But we're clean based on what he has done. Imputed righteousness. This is what sets biblical faith apart from every other religion. His work, not ours. God considers the believer righteous because Jesus is perfectly righteous. And because of his death and resurrection, he imputes to us his righteousness. It's all about him. There is so much freedom in that. It is all about Jesus. So if you've come to church for 30 years and you can come for 30 more, hopefully week after week it's the same thing. It's all about Jesus. We don't mature past the cross ever. We're always looking back to the cross, which is why we observe the Lord's Supper so often. We do it every other week. Some say we should do it every week, and maybe they're right. right? Some do it quarterly because it's so important they, they put the whole service around just that. Well, that's good too. But as often as we do it, we remember what he did. We never move past the cross. And this creates in us humility. Right? Humility. The proud Christian, you ever met a proud Christian? It just doesn't quite line up. Because grace, it's all about God's grace, so he gets the credit. Every religion tells us what to do. Only biblical Christianity makes it clear that God has done it all. And it's enough for us to trust him. Now we have this tendency though as Christians after this to start adding little rules. We really do. And maybe it's from our church growing up, whatever it is. Uh, but I've had these debates plenty of time. I'm preaching in jeans. I preached in jeans at one point and somebody came up after me like, you know, your shirt looked really nice but you were wearing jeans. I said, you're right, I was. And I gave him my Bible and I said, and show me in there where it says anything about that. He's like, well it doesn't, but Right, so we'd like to add these rules on. Now, is it okay to wear a suit to church? Absolutely, right? There's different cultures in, in churches, and we fit there. But let's not add rules in that the Bible doesn't give us. Amen. <laughs> so, right, saved by faith, not by works. So, what about works? Can we do whatever we want? Well, that's the topic of group this week. So, I'm not going to tell you. You have to go to group, and we can talk about that. But works then, works are part of it, but they're not part of salvation at all. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your works, right? So no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So I, I gave it away a little bit. So works are part of it, but they're not part of salvation at all. And if we understand that, 
and we believe Jesus died and rose again, we can live in peace. We can live in a different way now leading to eternity. And this should, one, convict us. This hopefully now gives us the courage to share that with others rather than, you know, he began this. I'm not ashamed. Are you ashamed? This is the only way to salvation. And so we need to not be ashamed and quickly ready to share with others. This is the only way, again, with grace and love. But this is the only way, and it's not based on our works. So much freedom. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that it's not based on my works. Thank you that it's not based on any of our works. God, we, we look at this, and it seems so simple. Uh, and it is to a certain extent, but yet there's a piece of all of us that thinks we need to earn it that thinks we need to work for it. God, I pray that you would encourage everyone in this room, if anybody is wallowing in their sin, that you would cleanse them and they would feel their freedom in you. Not guilt. Conviction is good. Guilt is not. But that they would find the freedom in you. But then, God, I do pray that you would lead us to go your way. That we wouldn't be cruise ship Christians. That, that we wouldn't just be, you know, saved and then useless. But rather our salvation by grace would lead us to be so useful for you in your kingdom and in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.